You are listening to Ash's podcast, Advocating Safety in Healthcare. Hey, hey, and welcome to our podcast, our very first podcast. This is Angie Fermolino. And this is Angela DeSaw, real last name Lynch. <laughs> and you are listening to the Ashes podcast. So it's going to release on December 31st, 2019. And we chose that date because that will be the last date that Esher will be allowed to be implanted in women anywhere in the world. So we wanted to celebrate today and launch our first podcast. We're excited. Um, yeah, it's really exciting. And there are probably, oh gosh, tens of thousands of women all over the world celebrating today. And I know, especially in the United States, there are um, women everywhere setting up little e-sister gatherings and celebrating and toasting to today. So hello to you all and make sure you share your videos and pictures and toasts on Facebook with us so we can see you. So yeah, let's just, I guess, do a little brief history of who we are and what our nonprofit is and how we got to this point and where we're going. All right. So I'll start with my personal story. In 2009, I had a baby boy and we had decided this was going to be our last child. And I did have in my birth plan that if I had a C-section, I wanted a tubal ligation, but I ended up having an emergency uh, C-section. And the on-call surgeon did not know my birth plan and didn't do the tubal ligation. So at my follow-up visit with my OBGYN, we discussed um, sterilization, and he recommended Esher, which was a medical device, a permanent sterilization device that could be implanted in the office without anesthesia, without surgery. It was supposed to be painless. It was supposed to be quick, 15 to 20-minute procedure. And, um, it all sounded great to me cause I didn't want to have another surgery. I'd just had a C-section. I had a new baby. I had three other children, you know, that I was getting ready for school and everything. So I agreed to it and I had the procedure done. So like I said, it is done in the office. They go up through the vagina and the cervix into the uterus. They find your fallopian tubes and they implant a little metal coil into each fallopian tube. They are supposed to stay in place and cause scar tissue to grow. After about three months, you're supposed to have a follow-up test to make sure that the scar tissue is completely done growing and that the sperm can't get past the fallopian tube and meet the egg, therefore sterilization. So anyways, I went in, had it done. Very, very painful. Took him a very long time. I was in there for over an hour. After it was over, I was having extreme pain, cramping, went home pain continued. I was having bleeding issues. I was started running fevers. I started having joint problems. I was just feeling really sick for a very long time and finally went for a follow-up in 2011, two years later, and found out that one of my coils had expelled and embedded in my uterus after an ultrasound exam. And I didn't even know that could happen. So long story short, I had to find a surgeon to remove it and had that done in 2011 Ended up having the device break during that surgery, was left with fragments, and in 2014 had hysterectomy, had troubles healing from the hysterectomy because of an autoimmune condition that I developed from the device, and had two subsequent surgeries after the hysterectomy, and then several joint surgeries. So this device, you know, not only expelled and migrated and embedded elsewhere, it set off a systemic reaction in my body, giving me autoimmune conditions. 
So in 2011, when I found out that this thing was embedded in my uterus and while I was looking for a surgeon, I decided to start a Facebook group. And I just wanted to warn my friends and my family members, female friends and family members, because I didn't really want to put it on my personal page. And so I made this little group and I named it Esher Problems. And I added some girls and told them my experience and said, hey, this happened to me. Stay away from this device. And then people I didn't know, women I didn't know, started joining the group. And Angela, you were one of the first women that joined? Yep. I came in. I think there was a little little bit over a hundred people. It was, when did you start it? In 2000? 2011. I think it was right in the beginning of 2011, maybe January or February. Um, because it took me a couple of months to find a surgeon and my surgery was in April. So yeah, it had to be around like January or February. I believe I joined in August of that year. Okay. Yeah. And what was your story? I don't even remember your story. There's been so many. Because we never talk about our story. <laughs> I know. Well, we have a million times and it's been so long. So tell the audience your story. So I had my third kid in 2008 and I wanted to get a tubal, but my doctor suggested that I get this new thing that they had and I would be the third person he ever implanted. So that way he can get his, you know, whatever it is that they get. I don't know what it's called. Certification. Yeah. Certification. He promised it was like the newest, best thing. It takes no surgery, no downtime. I can go back to work and being a single mom with three kids now, I was like, oh, that's awesome. I don't have to do anything. I've never had surgery before in my life. So it sounded perfect to me. Um, three months after my son was born, I got you sure. And I didn't really put it all together that I was having problems until about Probably two, three years later, not saying I didn't have symptoms. I had a bunch of crazy things happening to me, but I just I didn't put it together that it, my symptoms were related to Esher. I think the migraines were the first things that came to me. All the migraines and mood changes, and I don't think I was ever the same after that. So, yeah, in 2011, found the group, and in October of 2012, I went to my doctor, and he told me that it was all in my head. This is my doctor that implanted me, my OBGYN, who I had been going to since I was 18, who knew me, you know, and now I'm 29 years old, 30 years old, going to him going, hey, what's wrong? And he's like, oh, no, there's nothing wrong. It's all in your head. But after being in the group and seeing there's so many other women that are doing this, that are having the same symptoms. I mean, even 100 other women, even 200, even 10 other women, we all had the same things happening to us. So for me, there was no way it could not be these things. This is what changed me. This is when I changed. This is when my health started going downhill. Right. So I went to another doctor. I worked at a hospital. So I went up and I asked our surgical techs at the time, do you know any doctors that are removing these things? And they gave me one doctor's name. And I went to him. I made an appointment with him and I walked in with all my medical records. And I was like, this is what I want. This is what I have. And I want them out. And he told me that he doesn't think that that's the problem. But, you know, I told him I didn't care. I don't care if what you believe. I don't care if you believe that's a problem or not. Um, I want them out. And if you don't do it, I'm going to find another one that will. So um, November 20th, 2012, I had my hysterectomy at 33. And I'm about 97% better. I'm probably one of the lucky ones out of, that's how I feel. Yeah, well, I think because you had the hysterectomy initially and you got everything out intact on the first try. 
Like for me, I didn't have that. I had them removed vaginally under anesthesia where she just pulled them out and then went through my abdomen and did a tubal ligation. So because I think because mine were broken inside of me and parts were left behind, I do believe that is what set off my my autoimmune because initially all the symptoms that I was having from them being embedded in my uterus were, well, most of them were gynecological. You know, I had sharp stabbing pains. I was having pain with intercourse. I was constantly bleeding. I was constantly having infections. So I think that was all definitely related to where the device was. But then I think after it was broken, that set off the immune system. And, you know, just Every day. So you became an admin. You were one of the very first admins. I remember I remember it was winter and I live in the mountains, in the Catskill Mountains in New York, and it was winter and we were expecting a really big storm. And I was the only admin at the time and I knew I was going to lose power. They were warning us we were be losing power, but women were joining every day and I didn't want anyone to get left out. So I added my first admin. And then after that, as it just kept growing, we just kept adding more and more admins and you were like I don't know third or fourth you were one of the very first admins yeah I on think the team. I'm not sure what number I was <laughs> I don't remember but I do know it was not too long after the group I mean we kept finding things and at one point we switched from just a support group and we needed more to we needed more help we needed we were well I'll let you tell that part go ahead yeah well you know yeah it was definitely a support group but I think as most of us did, we woke up every day and we were on that page and we were reading these stories. And like you said, they were all repetitive. There were a a wide variety of problems, but they were all the same. So there was a large chunk of women that were having pain, a large chunk of women with bleeding problems, a large portion with allergic reactions hypersensitivity because the device had nickel in it. There were women getting pregnant. So there were, you know, a dozen or so commonalities between us and just hearing those stories over and over and over again and people sharing pictures and just seeing the horror and the devastation one story after another and just getting worse and worse. We got to the point where we were just getting really angry at this, that this was happening to so many people and that these women we're coming into the group saying, my doctor doesn't believe us. And we're like, no, they don't believe us either. You're like, nobody's listening to us. What are we going to do? We got to do something about us. And I think that's when it clicked to, we have to do something. Nobody is doing anything. We have to do something. So what do we do? That's whenever we emailed, it was just a post in the group. We were like, I wonder what Aaron Brockovich is doing. Yeah. That we were doing, what, what did we call them? Infusion events. We, we were doing infusion events where we would have everyone in the group email or write someone on social media for like a day or two. So we would pick like Oprah or Dr. Phil or the show, the doctors or this or that. And someone mentioned Aaron Brockovich and we're like, okay, let's hit her. Cause nobody else was biting. There were no media outlets that were biting. We were reaching out to media, but Aaron responded. She emailed back and said, I would like to call you and talk to you about this. And I was like, oh, my God. okay." (laughs) So I remember it was the most nerve wracking phone call because, you know, here I am just whatever, just this person in Tannersville and Aaron Brockovich is calling me. But it was pretty amazing. And she taught me a lot on that phone call. She taught me about the different classes of medical devices and that she did a little research and found out that Esher was a class three medical device. 
and informed me that class three medical devices have this thing called preemption protection, where if um, you're injured, harmed, or killed, or maimed, or disabled, or whatever by this particular type of medical device, you really have no legal recourse. You can't really go after the manufacturer easily. They pretty much get away with this preemption protection pass and that we would have a very, very, very difficult, if not impossible time trying to take any type of legal action against the manufacturer. And at the time, the original manufacturer was called Conceptus. And then what, in 2013, they were bought out by Bayer. Yes. And everyone knows Bayer. Bayer's a huge, huge company. Well, that's whenever we went, since we can't do anything legally, what we can do is stop other women or just tell other women what's happening and maybe get a bigger a bigger audience. So we started joining yeah. all the social media pages. Yeah. And then and then also, you know, after Erin told us about that, she's like, but I am willing to help you get the word out. And then once we had somebody with media attention, you know, someone famous, the media was then willing to listen because, oh, Aaron Brockovich is helping these women with this problem. So once the media started paying attention because we had Aaron Brockovich behind us, we had media story after media story after media story. And then one network would see it and another one would pick it up. And so women all over the country, our e-sisters that were in that group, started contacting their local news outlets and doing stories and we started getting coverage and we started like gaining traction that way and then the group started growing and then we came across the original transcript of the approval meeting <laughs> the 2002 FDA approval meeting for Esure that was like and on page was, what, 50 like, of Google that was like I'm not even lying <laughs> yeah. I was searching it was way Google. buried <laughs> for so long and for some reason I I was up till four in the morning reading that and just posting snapshots on Facebook going oh my god you guys got to read this well I just remember all of us admins texting back and forth going oh my god what page are you on did you read the fucking page <laughs> did you see this and I just I remember those several because it took several days to get it was hundreds of pages and it was infuriating and we were just I think that reading that, our anger just exploded at that point. And we're like, all right, that's it. We need to get this device off the market. This came to the market in such a bullshit, fucking unbelievable way. And we have to get well, this out there. We, everyone women, needs to know. They were joking and saying, what are we going to do in 10 years if this device doesn't work? You know, they're going to hire private investigators to drag us back here, you know, and talking yeah, about- Yeah, and ask us why we approve this device. Yeah. Yeah, corn-fed yeah. women oh. in Iowa. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't- yeah. It was It was awful. It was bad. That was, that for me, I think was the day that we went from just a support group to um, we're going to fight this until it's- We're taking until this it's device down. Yeah, me too. That, that was fuel. That was major fuel for the fire. So we started knocking on the FDA's door at that point and trying to get their attention and being like, hey, we have all these women that are having problems. What are you going to do about it? And they basically said, well, there aren't very many adverse event reports on it, so we don't really know what you're talking about. And of course, we were like, well, what's an adverse event report? And so the FDA explained to us that any person 
can voluntarily report a drug or a medical device for um, a problem that they've had, whether it was a malfunction or they were injured by it or they had an allergic reaction, any type of adverse reaction that you have to something that the FDA has approved, you're allowed to make a report about that. And we're like, okay, let's do that. So we taught everyone in our group and we were up to, I don't know, 10,000 at that point, um, how to do that. So those reports started rolling into the FDA. So we're on top of them. We're like, okay, how many do you have now? Well, we've got, you know, three or 4,000. Well, how many does it take for you to take action? Well, there, you know, really is no magic number, you know, but, you know, thank you for sending in your reports. And it's like, well, what, what are you going to do about it? And they just, they really wouldn't give us any answers. And we had conference calls with them and we were constantly emailing and going back and forth and, Numbers kept rising. We're like, how many is it going to take for you guys to do something? And they just, it felt like banging your head against a brick wall. They did not want to do anything. And at one point they told us, we don't recall medical devices. That's really the manufacturer's responsibility. And then we were like, okay, Target is now on Bayer. So that's whenever <laughs> so, we crashed Bayer's stockholder meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we sent someone to Germany to go speak at Bayer's yeah. <laughs> Bayer stockholder meeting. She had to learn the um, whole speech in German because even though um, they sell most of their products in the United States, you're only allowed to speak in German to the stockholders. And they didn't tell her that until two weeks before her speech. Yeah. So she had to learn to, to present her speech in German in two weeks and she fucking did it and she nailed it and hats off to you for doing that. Um, so we did that. Um, and then we decided, well, let's make some more noise. Let's hold some rallies. Um, we went to the ACOG convention, um, the AAGL convention. We spoke with the AAGL. So these are all gynecological organizations. Um, you know, we'd rally outside. We'd try to sit and have meetings with them, tell these doctors, and these are all gynecologists and many of them were implanting this device. So they're seeing us out there. And some of them were curious and were approaching us and asking us questions. And I felt like we educated a lot of doctors that way. And then some were very rude, like, well, there's complications with every device and you, you know, you have risks and benefits. And, you know, so then we're like, well, let's print up a whole bunch of pictures and make photo albums and bring them to our next rally. So I, I got the job of doing that. Um, that was fun. And um, so we had rallies all over the country and everyone had banners and everyone had photo albums and we just didn't stop. Um, no, this is what we did every day, every day for the past, you know, eight, nine years. Eight years. Um, and I think there were a lot of days where, especially as, and I know we've had so many admins that have helped us along the way and each one yeah. of them have a big part in where we're at, but. Oh yeah. I mean, even this the, was the biggest team effort in the history of advocacy. I, I mean, we built an army Yeah, and they're all, you know, each and every single one of them are to, you know, have credit for this, this fight and this win. Oh yeah, rather be like providing us with research or providing us with what their doctor said or filing filing FOIAs or yep. you know whatever it is. It was it was nonstop. The yep. information was nonstop. We had women going to college pulling medical journals. You know, I mean, yep. every medical journal that could be found. I we have 
Dropbox is full. And I mean, we have so much information that we were just, there was so much stuff that was just wrong about this. I mean, doctors that were bought off, doctors that made a lot of money off of it, you know, um, medical journals that were ghostwritten. So it's just, it was so much information to take in and we were Every single time we found something else out, it only fueled the fire even more. Every time they told us no, it fueled it even more. Every time we were turned away, we just fought harder. And not just us, every woman who was there. Mm -hmm. And, And so all of these things that many of our admins attended, you know, whether it was going to Congress to lobby, going to the FDA for meetings, um, going to rally, going to host an event, we paid, we were paying out of our pockets and it was getting to the point where, um, a lot of us couldn't do it anymore. It was getting really, really expensive. And we started to talk about, okay, how can we fund this? We can't stop. We won't stop, but we need a a way to help fund this fight. You know, we're in this till the end. And we're coming across other groups that are doing, you know, wanting to do the same thing, fighting for other devices. We're like, okay, let's, let's form an organization. Um, and so we decided that we would establish a nonprofit and we did that in 2015 and we named it advocating safety and healthcare, East sisters, ashes. And we were able to then with the nonprofit have fundraisers and self t-shirts and and do things like that to help us fund our advocacy and host our events and have our rallies. And we are so indebted and so grateful to all the people that supported us. I mean, anytime we had an event and we needed to make a fundraiser and put it up in the group, all of those e-sisters, they raised that money in, gosh, days sometimes, sometimes a day. Yeah. You know, I can't even express how much gratitude to all of those people, all of those women and men that, that helped us to, to fight this fight. It's unbelievable. The support we had God, even just ordering the videos. So back to the 2002 hearing that the transcript that we read at the bottom of that transcript, and we had the transcript for a while, but one day I was just reviewing it again. And I found on the last page at the bottom that it was videotaped by this company and their phone number was on there. And I was like, God, I kind of want to call and see if they have this video still. So I called them and he said, well, I'll, you know, I'll go look and I'll get back to you. And the guy called me back. He's like, yeah, we have it. And I was like, oh my God, can I get a copy of it? He's like, yeah, we could make a copy of it. It would be about four DVDs long and it would be, I don't know, what was it, Angela, like $900 or something like that. Uh, Yeah, but I was like, oh my God. (laughs) But then we'd get copyrights to an hour of it. Yeah, well, we had to pay extra for that. I remember going back to the group and saying, okay, you guys, I think we need these DVDs. I really think we need to see this meeting and see what else went down. But it's $900, and those women rallied in minutes, and we raised that money and bought those DVDs. And I watched them, and I was like, we have to get this out to the public. And I called the company back. I'm like, am I allowed to share this? Like online? Can I put this on YouTube? Oh, I got to talk to my boss and I'll call you back. And he called me back and he's like, well, you can buy the rights to it and use up to like an hour and 
whatever, an hour and something's worth of minutes online, but it's going to cost another so many hundreds of dollars. So I had to go back and ask the group again, but they rallied and they, they raised that money and we got the rights and I made four 20 minute videos of very important parts of that meeting and put them on YouTube. They're called Eat Sure Movie 1, 2, 3, and 4. And I think once that got out there, people really, really were disgusted at the behavior and the comments that were being made during this meeting. And even the questions, you know, all these questions that the panel members had that they had no answers to. It was one thing to read it in a transcript and a whole different thing to actually watch it. Watch it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There were things that um, they said during the meeting that you couldn't really put in the transcript, you know, things that they take out or whatever. But it was it was mind boggling to watch it. I think that really drove a lot of people. Yeah. But I think whenever some of the women started losing babies in the group. Oh my God. And we started losing people. I think that was, do you remember that? That was like, Oh yeah. The most silent day. Yeah. I think the hardest day for me ever And I've woken up many days and would read posts and would sit there crying, drinking my coffee. And my (laughs) husband's just looking at me like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, this is a really sad thing on the page today. But the one that hit me the most was, I'm not going to say her name because I don't know if she wants it out there. But a woman who had become pregnant with Isher in place and had made it pretty far along in her pregnancy. She had been very scared in the beginning. Um, We were cheering her on and supporting her. And she was finally, you know, she came to accept it. And then she was, you know, she came to welcome it. And they were getting excited. And I think it was going to be actually her husband's first child. She had other children with a previous relationship, maybe. I don't know the full background. But so they were accepting and looking forward to this baby. And um, the coil punctured the amniotic sac and she went into preterm labor and the little boy was born and I think he took one breath and he passed away um, because he was so premature and so the next day after she got home from the hospital she was laying in her bed and she (sighs) put a post on the page that her heart was breaking because she was laying in bed watching her husband disassemble the crib that was in their room do you remember that? I remember that. That was so, oh yeah, I think we called my each other crying. heart was just ripped out of my chest, you know, because here she is just watching this crib be taken down. Yeah, and then she had to plan a funeral. And hers isn't the only story. We watched that happen a couple of times. Um, we lost one of our Colorado admins after her hysterectomy. She had a pulmonary embolism, which is, you know, a possibility with any surgery, but this wasn't an you know, elective surgery. You know, this was a necessary surgery because she was having complications from her Esure device. And then because of the surgery that she needed to have, she ended up having an embolism and she passed away. So we, we were losing people and it was getting, it was getting real, real, <clears throat> I don't know what the word is with the FDA. It was getting really, 
aggressive. I was getting aggressive with oh, we the were FDA getting frustrated. I was getting pissed. We, oh, I was pissed. They weren't doing anything. No, we were mad. We're coming to them with all this data and all this information. And I mean, not even just data and information, but the stories, just the stories. How could they let this happen? How could, yeah. for how me, could they continue to let this happen? Yeah. For me, and knowing that this anything. is taking place and to ignore it now to me that those deaths are on their head, like, yeah, <clears throat> they own that. Yeah. That is, I agree. Oh, that was to to me. They have allowed it. They every yeah. person that we have lost after that, I think that is it, it's their blood is on their hands. Is on the hands of the yeah. FDA and Bayer because they knew these complications. Yeah. They knew what's well, going and, on. And the their faulty system. So then we came across this amazing woman, Madrice. So in 2015, the FDA finally called an FDA hearing on Ishira, a public hearing. We were allowed to sign up to speak. Many of us got, you know, four minutes or three minutes or seven minutes or whatever they allotted to you know, us. And here's this red tape. So on the other side is the panel, Bayer to the left, the FDA to the right, and then all of us in the audience. And we got to get up and speak one at a time. And this that day was like, I don't know, 12 hours long. It felt oh, like yeah. forever. And the panel members listened to us all. I think they were pretty blown away by everyone's presentations. And then they had a lot of questions that neither the FDA or Bayer could answer. And we're all like biting our tongues in the freaking audience because we weren't allowed to speak. We're like, we can answer that question for you if you would just let us. <laughs> You know, what always got to me was, um, it was frustrating, not just for us. It made me angry at the doctors was whenever we had the women that would come in and they were suicidal because their husbands left or their doctors didn't believe them or they're in so much pain, they can't handle it. And there's been many times where I think a lot of us have felt that like our kids would be better off with somebody else, you know, because we can't be that parent anymore. We couldn't be who we used to be or the wife or whatever it was, no. whatever, whoever you were to somebody, we could never be that anymore. Or even to ourselves, you know, no. even to us, no. we couldn't be that person. And we've seen, we've seen suicides. We've, we've seen it all. And I think every single time something happened, that kind of, those were the days where I almost felt like, God, I, I want to stop. I, I I can't do this again. I can't, I can't go through this anymore. And then you yeah. would see a post like that and you'd go, how could you walk away from it? How could you stop? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was all consuming and I lived it, breathed it, slept it for eight years, every day, every day, working in the group working with our advocacy, doing the nonprofit stuff. I mean, we live, no, I don't think people can really understand how much time and effort and life went into this fight. And, you know, that hearing was a turning point. And, you know, the FDA first came out with a guidance, which meant um, the doctors had a recommendation to tell the patients about blah, blah, blah. But none of the doctors were doing it. So we went back and fought them a year later. And they're like, you have to mandate this. Doctors are not doing it. Here's proof that doctors are not doing it. We have statements from this many women. And here's all their doctors and blah, blah, blah. And here's the information that they signed. And their informed consent is nothing like the thing that you put in your guidance. So, I mean, it took us another year after the year 
waiting for the stupid guidance to come out to finally get it mandated and get the black box warning on it. And that was a huge win because I think that really popped the balloon for, for doctors because now they had to go over this black box warning and this patient checklist with these women. And they didn't want to do that because no sane woman would sign that thing. If you read that 10 page (laughs) patient checklist, you'd be like, fuck, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. We weren't warned of any of that stuff, you know, and once we made the FDA make Bayer, give them the warnings of what could actually happen, no one wanted it and sales plummeted. Well, just the fact that they actually gave Bayer or told them that they had to inform women validated everything that we were going through. Yeah, because finally. I mean, none of those side effects were listed before. None of that nope. information was out there before. You know, we were told no. it was sold to us like a vacation. So yeah, you know, you go get sterilized and bam, you go back to work and and you're you're done yeah. for life. You know, it was yeah. sold like a vacation to us. So just the fact that they even forced them to go back to put those kind of warnings was a win. It validated well, we everything that them. we were doing. <laughs> I'd say we forced them. I don't think the FDA had a choice. No. I don't think they I don't think they really had a choice. We we weren't going to leave them alone until they did something and it took them forever, but they finally at least did that. And then we got approached by a documentary filmmaker who was working on a project about medical devices and emailed us and said, "Hey, this is who we are. This is what we've done in the past." This is what we're working on. We really like what your group is doing. Could we talk to you? We'd kind of like to feature this device in our film and maybe a little bit about what you guys are doing. And so we all talked as, you know, a team and we decided, okay, yeah, let's have some phone calls. So what we had a phone call every Monday (laughs) with the film crew for about a year, um, God, we were filmed in California. We were filmed at rallies. We were filmed while we were lobbying. They came to my house a bunch of times. I mean, there was so much. Yeah. I mean, we worked with this film crew for almost two years, I want to say. So the film premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival in the summer of 2018, July of 2018. And Right after it premiered, or was it right before? Was it no, three it, days it before the premiere in, or three days after? It premiered in March. I thought it was earlier. It, we were in... Okay. <clears throat> Go ahead. March or April. Yeah. Well, so it premiered and it was going to be released to Netflix in July and three days before the Netflix release of The Bleeding Edge, which was the name of the Netflix documentary which is on netflix now so please watch it if you haven't it's a really important film um three days before it hit netflix bayer announced that they were stopping the sale of isher in the united states and that was a huge win for us oh Um, man that was a day of tears we were all wow facetiming and crying and oh my god it was unbelievable it was unbelievable to know that they um, couldn't, but they could still actually implant it. Yeah, so that was the shitty contingency. So as of December 31st, 2018, doctors could no longer purchase any kits. But any kits that they had in inventory and in stock, 
they were allowed to implant up until December 31st of 2019. So today, December 31st, 2019, is the last day any woman ever in this world will ever, ever be implanted with this device. So today is a huge fucking victory and celebration of an eight-year battle an eight-year war. Oh, my God. There were so many battles. Some of them we lost and some of them we won, but we won the war. And going forward, no women, no more women are going to be harmed by this device. But it left a trail of blood and harm and death and disabled women in its wake. And we are still fighting for those women because those women need justice. We all need justice. We went through this. We're harmed. We're permanently changed forever. Um, the level of you know. PTSD that I think we all carry, <laughs> not just from oh our doctors not listening to us, but the FDA not listening to us, our, you know, people that we love not believing us. I mean, just oh my God. just the ups and downs of the things that we have saw in the group. I mean, I, I just when I think I'm over it, I, I realize that I'm not. Yeah. And you get triggered, you know, you go in and you read something and you're triggered by it. Like I can't even just go to a regular doctor's appointment. I can't, I can't, it's, it's, I have an anxiety attack, even if it's something as simple as, you know, I don't know. I think I broke my toe. I need an (laughs) x-ray. Like I'm still panicked. Like I cannot handle going to, because I, I personally went through so many procedures and surgeries and emergencies and, um, yeah, I'm still traumatized by the whole medical thing. And I know a lot of women are, and then living with all the systemic stuff that's probably going to be with us for the rest of our lives. You know, we have to fight for that. So here we are now. And I'd say over the past year, we've been working really closely with a lot of other advocacy groups. Our nonprofit has expanded a bit and we've got a couple of committees now. The first one that kind of grew off of Easter problems was medical device problems. And the the team that was running all the social media campaign and all of the online campaign for the bleeding edge, they had built this beautiful website for us for medical device problems. And once you know the film was released on Netflix, they handed that website over to us and we have um the Facebook group, the Facebook page, the Twitter account. So we now run medical device problems and that's one of our committees. And we have an amazing team of admins, people that were harmed by breast implants, mesh, hip implants, um, Esher. So dental implants. Dental implants. Yeah. I mean, that's an amazing team. We have a new organization, a new committee that we just formed called Me M H E E I Mental Health Education Empowerment Initiative, and that is something that myself and the current vice president of Ashes, Lisa, are passionate about because we both have daughters with mental illness. So that's something we strongly are drawn towards um, fighting for better health care for people with mental illness. And then, of course, always Easter problems. We will always still be there. The support group will always be there until every single woman that needs help gets help because still to this day, we are approving member after member after member. They're just finding us and they're just finding out that 
this device has caused their problems and they need direction and they need help and they need to know what type of surgery to have. And way, way, way back when we started, we didn't even know there was a removal protocol because there wasn't one. No. And we was... didn't know proper removal, you know, we had no idea. How many doctors have you heard say, um, we were taught to put them in, but never to take them out? Because my doctor exactly. told me that. Yep. Yeah. And that's how it was for many years. And along the way, we picked up quite a few amazing doctors that actually joined our group and joined our crusade. I mean, Dr. Julio Navoa, shout out to you. You've been with us from the beginning. You were the very first doctor to believe in us and to help these women and to help, you know, and still do to this proper day. removals and still to this day, helping women and advocating and putting videos up. And, you know, he's been amazing. And we've got a huge list of physicians now that women in the group have recommended. And we add doctors to the list all the time. Women are like, oh, this doctor was great. He was compassionate. He understands how to remove it properly. I highly recommend him. So we have this growing list that women can go to and try to find someone in their area that knows about proper removal and that's kind and will treat you properly. Because there was a long, many years of doctor hopping and just being told this is all in your head. There's no possible way that tiny little device could be causing you all these problems, you know? So we have resources now that we didn't in the beginning and um, we know and what's more funny now. Is that even off of the removal protocol, nobody knew, like we kind of created that by, and it's sad because most of us were guinea pigs. I mean, yeah, what we did is just created surveys after surveys and we used those surveys and we would take them to the AAGL or the ACOG and they would, based off of that data, just, you know, how many women had returned surgeries, how many, if they removed it by a hysterectomy or by just a tubal ligation or whatever, they used yeah. that information to create a, a real protocol. Right, right. You know, and we shouldn't have been the ones that had to do that. That's the scariest part is a group of women who, and some of the women in the group are nurses. I'm not going to say that some, you know, none of us have medical experience, but for the most part, we are not medical professionals. No. We should not have been the ones that had to educate doctors. I had a doctor that I don't know call me out of the blue, eight o'clock one night, introduce himself and say, you don't know me and I'm really sorry to call you at home, but I'm an OBGYN in Syracuse, New York. <laughs> and I have a woman that needs to have her Isher removed. And she said that I should call you. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> what? Okay. And he was totally serious. He's like, I want to help her. And I need to Aww. know what you know, because I want to do this right. And we sat on the phone for an hour and we talked and he's like, he's like, you don't have a medical background. I'm like, I don't, but I've been, you know, God talking to these women and, and reading pathology reports and operative notes now for six years. So yeah, I kind of have a medical background in this right about now. Um, but we that's have honorary a freaky ones. feeling, right? We have honorary medical degrees. <laughs> Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's a thin line you walk when you offer someone advice and, and say, you know, oh, you probably shouldn't have a straight vaginal hysterectomy because there's a chance that they might not get the complete fallopian tube and not get the, you know, you're kind of giving medical advice. Well, that's why we just present the data, you know, yeah, here's like, what we found. Um, yeah. this many women who, you know, had it pulled out or had just a tubal 
75 had fragments. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, at this point, I don't even care. Like if, if someone wanted to come after me for it, I don't care because all I want is for, I want these women to have it done properly the first time because there is no second time. If it's screwed up the first time, you know, I've been there. It happened to me. I know. And I just don't want it to happen to anyone else. So yeah, I'm going to give my opinion and I'm going to offer you the best advice and the best knowledge that I have because it's all I have. And yeah, all we're doing is sharing our experiences and what we've seen. Yeah. I mean, we've seen a lot. We've seen so much in the group and you can't really, that's something they can't take. Nobody can take away from us. I mean, this is what we have seen. So I, I, as far as any of that other stuff, you know, getting in trouble for giving out information. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. I mean, I don't, I don't feel bad for anything I've done. No, God, no. I don't regret any of it. It's no, we never did any of this. We are a sisterhood and we lean on each other. And I don't think if we, if we didn't have each other, I don't think a lot of us would have made it mentally, physically. A lot of people have been able to come back from this. Thank God by having proper removal done the first time, a lot of people have been able to recover you know, and then the rest of us, at least we have each other for support and, you know, Hey, okay. Now if I've got lupus going on, at least I've got other people that have lupus that I can talk to and we can help each other like deal, you know, things like that. So, you know, we're just going to continue to be there and be there for you guys and for each other. But in the meantime, we are building these other amazing committees and we are going to continue to expand. And this podcast is going to bring you information about, advocating for safety in healthcare in so many different ways, you know, whether it be ESHER or whether it be a medical device issue or a a mental health care issue or just anything that we come across that we feel is important and we want to share with people because I think the most important thing in healthcare is being a good advocate for yourself or having an advocate with you. It's having the knowledge for yourself. Yeah, actually taking charge. The be- the most important thing in your health is taking charge of your health. Yeah. Yeah. And paying attention to, um, and I guess just, I always just believed the doctors until I didn't, until this happened. Right. Yep. Same. But it's okay to question. ask those questions. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And, and if a doctor ever blows you off, or treats you like um, condescending because you're asking questions, then that's not a good doctor for you. You know, doctors are have taken an oath to do no harm and to to be there to help you. And I don't know. And big I companies got, are not doctors either, and neither is the FDA. So, um, right, we'll continue to fight against that side as well. Yeah, always. Yeah, and and there's so much work to be done. I mean, we didn't even cover the bills that we've had in Congress, but I think we can save that for definitely for another podcast. We can talk about the Medical Device Safety Act and the Medical Device Guardians Act. There's there's a lot of work to be done. I'll, you know, along these years, we've learned so much about um, just the approval of devices and the workings of the FDA and the workings of Congress and how bills get passed. And there's there's so much knowledge that we've accrued over the years that we want to share and that we want to keep working on and fighting for and fighting for our future, fighting for our children, 
and, and fighting for fairness. You know, right now, pharmaceutical companies and medical device industry has the power and they should not have the power. The people should have the power. Um, and so it's time. Yeah. It's time to take that back. And that's what, that's what we want to do. We want to take that power back and we want to give it to all of you. (laughs) Yep. And tonight, tonight we celebrate our big victory. Yes, we do. So (laughs) cheers, raising a glass to you all. And, um, much love and much thanks to all of you e-sisters and to everyone out there listening and please follow us please subscribe and like and all those podcast things that you do and we have no idea what we're doing so if this was long and it was a lot of babbling we're sorry (laughs) we're gonna get better at it but um yeah welcome to our podcast and definitely stick around because we'll probably have some really cool guests and we'll have some really cool topics what more to discuss yeah and on that note, good night. And I hope you loved our opening song, which we have to give awesome props to Tyler. Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson. Mad props to our Ashes, Ashes, We All Fall Down song. That was us singing, by the way. That was our Ashes board member singing. And he put all our cool voices together and made that creepy, awesome, heavy metal song for us because that's what I requested. So thank you, Tyler. We love you. <laughs> all right. See you next time. Bye. Bye.